at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Long time uh, no... Uh, I'm kidding. We just recorded another podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, as mentioned on the last podcast, this is a double week for everybody. Um, for the season preview stuff, we do try to keep it to its own episode. We don't want to let the other the other jokes, garbage, and all the other... Uh, the, tomfoolery that you're probably used to in what year five of this thing that uh we've been running now somehow something like that yeah dan and i've been doing this for five years at this point and it's actually improved in a lot of ways i'd like to thank lewis for uh, helping finally produce this thing up a little bit um the content's gotten better i would hope but uh the basketball team maybe not I just don't I don't know anything about this team, which is which lends to a, a I'm sure will be a, a great preview podcast. But like we've seen very little of any of these guys except for Niles Battle, basically. Yeah, this is and uh, Frank Howard. We've seen a bunch of Frank Howard. It's just been very sporadic, <laughs> sporadic and, <laughs> and and very doghousey. Yes. <laughs> yeah this uh, this team is basically uh, Tyus Battle and the uh, the unknowns. If they were going to be a band from. I'd say a period from like 1956 to like 1972. Like if you're gonna, my, my uncle sang in a band called the Unknowns, uh, and they played like all 50s and 60s standards. So yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Tyus Battle gets to play frontman with this uh, in this band, and uh, I feel like if he doesn't score at least 17 points a game, we're screwed. Yeah, he needs a he needs a breakout, and that's that's going to be I think the leading. I mean, that's just the most obvious thing to point to. He looked. Um, really, I mean, overall, like I, I find it hard to really complain about Ty's battle last year. He was yeah, other than uh, the sick games, he was fine. Yeah, I mean, he he has a ton of ability. He was a five star player coming in, and he showed it in a lot of those games. Uh, I think he played, um, from what I remember at least, he played some really good ball down the stretch uh, when, and he he came up in some big spots. So, um, if he has his natural progression, I think we can be you know we'll have a player to be pretty excited about, um, especially because he was a guy that came in with some like. Maybe one and done, considering we've had so many of them that we didn't totally expect. Like, I wasn't going to be shocked if Battle ended up being uh, one. Um, and now I'm looking, yeah, he had he ended his year like he was fantastic. He he had 18 in Duke, 20 in Louisville, 22 in Georgia Tech, 14 in Miami, and then in the NIT, uh, 20 and 17 against Greensboro and Ole Miss. So, obviously, the results weren't always great, but he, he played his best ball down the stretch. Um I was a little nervous that he might jump, uh, considering kind of a disappointing year plus uh, ability, plus being you know wanting to strike when the iron's hot. Um, I'm glad he did not. Uh, he's no, we'd have been screwed. Kind of a, we would be we, we would be really bad, <laughs> like hilariously bad. <laughs> and now I think more than anything, we're just like you said, we're kind of an unknown. So um, I'm excited to see what, what Battle can do. I mean, he's all the tools, six foot six. Um, he's uh, you know probably not finished as a store. I think. Obviously, you can always improve your shooting, and uh, there, you know, he's far from a perfect player. But there was a lot to build on from last year. Um, I saw he was like a thirty, almost thirty-seven percent three-point shooter. So, uh, 
I think you just if he has a just an overall uptick in his game from freshman to sophomore year, he should be right there for one of those probably top two or three ACC team, all ACC teams. Yeah, they uh, they kind of snubbed him early, but um, that's fine. I think there's actually a lot of great returning talent this year. There's a lot of great new talent. Duke obviously hoarding that. Um, I would say Joel Berry's hand injury probably opens up a spot um, potentially for somebody like Battle in the All ACC team, but who knows? I think this is going to be a very weird season um, around the conference, and that's something we can kind of get into later once we get through uh, some of the Syracuse related stuff first. Um, Dan, I figure we just kind of look around the roster a little bit, kind of start in the uh, front court maybe, and look through, again, just guys we have no idea what they're going to do. Which should be uh, should be troublesome, but might be all right. Um, I'll just start with Pascal Chukwu, who I think um, we had higher hopes for last year, and I know the eye injury really kind of derailed him and, and Syracuse's abilities down low. Um, I know Ben Lammers like kind of abused us last year um, down low in both Georgia Tech games. Um, I think Chukwu can bounce back, but I think that that's still limited to the defensive end and uh, and some some choice rebounding. Yeah, I mean, with these, like, 7-2, like, a lot of these project players, it's really hard to project from year to year. We had pretty big hopes for him last year, considering, you know, what we thought was a, a really talented bunch around him. Um, and he could just kind of focus on the shot blocking and whatnot. So now you would hope that we would get a little bit more uh, going with him, on the defensive end especially, because there are so many holes in the front court, considering uh, Torian Thompson's unexpected departure yeah. and just the overall youth of the team at the wing position. So... He obviously has tools. He's seven two, which just they just there aren't that many of those guys. You and we haven't had very many of guys um, in the middle of the zone with with anywhere near that length. Um, he's been in the system for a few years now, considering he had the transfer year from Providence. But he's only um, two hundred twenty eight pounds. Which yeah, and that's a concern. Um, and I, I mean, we've seen guys kind of undersize. I mean, not undersize. He's seven two, but under uh, guys who probably aren't filled out uh, quite as well as you would hope. Um, play strong in the middle of the zone in kind of uh, spot time. I mean, obviously, Torian Thompson played there a little bit last year, and he was uh, probably uh, maybe a little lighter, honestly, but and obviously nowhere near as tall. We saw Tyler Lydon, who uh, was clearly not a you know center by mold, but he hunted his uh, own in there as well. So this is the – I mean, we haven't had like a natural um, – so this is our starting center. He's going to be in the middle of the zone most of the time, or at least like for 20 plus minutes in a while. And we've relied on some kind of crafty and unconventional uh, solutions for that. So I think it'd be nice to uh, have Chukwu be out there and, and know that when you have your you know best defensive lineup out there, he'll be in the middle of the floor. I, I think it's going to definitely be wait and see though, because again, like it's not like we have a ton to do on with him. Yeah. And I mean, for him, like, this could be very much like a Coleman situation if he starts, and then we'll see what happens from there. I think um, I do want to wait and see on Dolazaj. I think he's a little rough around the edges. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be a very successful player. I think he is, but I think he might need a year. I think where I get very intrigued is then, you know, what somebody like uh, Barama Sadibe can do. He seems like someone who might be able to jump in right away um, at a position of need again, which is kind of like the, the center five spot. I mean, Syracuse doesn't really have a center necessarily um, in most cases, just really kind of have a, a back line of forwards. Um, so, again, I'm optimistic that Sidibe can help 
kind of ease this transition for Chukwu and maybe keep Chukwu a little more defensive focus. Sidibe might, might, might be able to be a little more of an offensive weapon and, you know, a, a more long-term solution at the position. Yeah, he obviously doesn't have the size, but I think he's probably more of your classic uh, prospect in terms of, you know, he played at St. Benedict's. He was a, a double-double guy, kind of a double-double machine there, averaging 15 and 11. Um He's, you know, he's not 7'2", he's 6'10". He's more of, like, what we've seen out of the Syracuse 4s and 5s in recent years. It's probably what you're going to see more of in general around basketball, too. I mean, NBA level, everybody's going positionless, and you're seeing a lot of teams excel with that. I mean, Milwaukee, Minnesota, Golden State, obviously. Like, I would would assume that we see less and less of the 7'2 types like Chukwu and more and more types like Sidibe, who's hanging around 6'10", and I'd say 205, and maybe he gets up before he leaves... Syracuse to 225 right and you need him to uh I mean you you're, you just need I mean, in the NBA especially because there's so much um of a focus on spreading the floor uh it requires a lot more of your centers or or you know you get rid of the center and we see the Golden State Warriors run out Kevin Durant or Draymond Green at the five and that was on that would have been unheard of probably five years ago um so yeah your your typical seven foot two uh, defense first player is kind of out of vogue at the next level. I think there is still uh, room for him in college because you just don't have these um, crazy teams where you have shooters at every position. And if you do, you don't have guys like Kevin Durant who are seven foot, uh, seven feet tall, or at least very close to seven feet tall, and stepping out and being able to shoot the ball while also playing solid defense in the middle. So when he needs to, so I think you, when you have a seven foot two guy, I think there is still uh, some potential there to find mismatches and to have something that, you know, most other teams don't and don't have like great answers for, but college basketball is also moving in a similar direction. If there's just a little bit less of uh, a total focus on that, because obviously the Warriors have kind of reinvented what the NFL game looks like. In the NBA game. Did I say NFL? You did. <laughs> yes. The NBA game. <laughs> Pascal Trucco, if you want to play tight, <laughs> you want to play tight end. You can actually. Why don't we? Why don't we think about that? If Chuku was a better offensive weapon, I would say why not just give him a shot in the football team? I mean, I, I think Babers would probably love to throw some some fades to him. Why not? That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, maybe you'd use him <laughs> like we wanted Custis to be used this entire time. Yep, we, we we've probably got a couple weeks of that Custis mentioned. So yes, there it is. We. We're still we're still out here on Custis Island, even though the the island is like a couple grains of sand uh, floating above the water somewhere. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, back to basketball. Um, another name that I don't want to just gloss. Well, two names I don't want to gloss over. Um, one of them is returning, but we didn't see him at all last year. Uh, Matthew Moyer, who is now a uh, redshirt freshman that was injured last year, probably could have used him to be honest by the end of the year, but um, nonetheless. He seems fully recovered, ready to go. Um, I think he's actually going to dictate how successful we can be um, on the, both the, de- the defensive end in particular, but offensively, I think he's a prime candidate to be that second scorer that Tyus Battle is going to need to actually uh, you know, help lead this team to more than just a handful of victories. Yeah, I think he's, uh, I mean, obviously we haven't seen him play for Syracuse yet, but he came in with, with pretty high accolades. He wasn't like, you know, a huge uh, five-star type guy, but he's a little blue-chip recruit. Um, really smart kid. He was uh, one of the, I mean, I, I think we can all take it like weird pride in, you know, bringing in guys with unique backgrounds, and he was, what, a, like a first-chair 
violinist or cellist. I yeah, forget which. One of those. Um, so yeah, and, and he, like honor society kid. So he's. Uh, I think if anyone could use a a full year to sit and learn and adjust to the college game and and kind of take your lumps, considering his his injuries. Um, obviously, I think he would have wanted to play, but I trust that Moyer uh, definitely used. Uh, spent the best of his time. Um, so, and, and he was a big time recruit coming in. So he has ability. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. And, and because this front line is basically all new guys, um, aside from maybe a little bit of time with battle on the wing and whatever we got from Chukwu last year, which is not much considering his injuries. Um, you're going to need Moyer and a couple of these other guys to step up just by pure necessity. Um, and I think the other guy is probably O'Shea Brissett, who I'm sure we're getting to, um, those two we haven't seen either, but they both come in with with uh, with some decent prospects. I think Brissette, um seems to be the guy that's sitting like the the, uh, the like oh he's going to be the breakout player that we didn't quite uh, know that we definitely have this year. A hype, obviously we have to see it first. But um, I'd say if anything, like there's so much intrigue just because I feel like we usually have a, at least a decent sense of what a Syracuse basketball team will, will be, even if there are a lot of replacements because of you know you know what guys were as recruits and other and. Even now, like, Brissette is, was from Canada, and Dolezage is from Europe, and uh, Moyer's been out a year, and Sadibi, you know, he's played in Jersey, but he wasn't, like, a huge, huge name. So it's, uh, even even in terms of the recruits coming in, there's just a lot of mystery out there, and, and a lot of these guys can be thrust into early playing time. Yeah, which, you know what, like, we've said this before, I think Jim Beheim's kind of risen to the challenge of what seems like a new chapter of Syracuse basketball here and he's almost been re-energized and he's got a second wind in terms of you know turning this team into something I think this is this is going to be one of his biggest probably unknowns um, since he's taken over the squad and again that's you know decades upon decades of experience now but I think it has the potential to be one of his more entertaining um, just in terms of you know providing providing not uncertainty but providing a bit of a wild card aspect to every night, like that's just not something that we're used to. I know a lot of folks around the country have already said this is uh, pretty much his like most inexperienced team he's ever had. Um, I, I'm willing to to roll the dice at least right now with guys like Moyer and guys like Sidibe and, and and of course you know guys like Brissett, who as you mentioned we are getting to um, as we close out uh, kind of the front court situation. Uh, Brissett has gotten a lot of press. He's a super athletic guy. He's played very well in Canada. Um, definitely seems like someone who can become a scorer. Like, if Moyer is going to turn himself into more of a defensive player, and maybe that is the case, who knows? Um, Brissett could easily be, you know, the counter to that um, and and not really give up on the defensive end either. I know the one issue we had with Torian Thompson was just how how he didn't, he just didn't really rise to the occasion on defense, but you were willing to accept it because he excelled on offense. I think Brissett's a much more balanced player. I think Moyer is too, but Brissett just seems like a more dynamic, more dynamic, and, and and I think kind of big play scorer than, than Moyer is. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be uh, you know ample opportunity for both to really show themselves this year. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be plenty of minutes to go around. It's not like we have anyone sitting there taking up time because they've been uh, established. It, it's it's kind of a mash unit of, of guys that we don't know anything about. <laughs> aside from, again, Tyus Battle. I guess Gino Thorpe by default. Like, I guess we know something about him. It just wasn't at Syracuse. Um, but he'll obviously be big if Syracuse uh, is to contend this year as well as one of the few veterans uh, coming into the program. Yeah, and perhaps Gino, and this is a good segue, I guess, 
Uh, Gino, the big thing is going to be, uh, I think, first and foremost, whether or not he's healthy. Uh, that ankle sprain news that uh, Jim Beheim shared at uh, ACC Media Day was a little unsettling. Um, we do have a little more depth at guard, though I wouldn't say it's a ton. Um, and again, the, the experience level is, is minimal at best. Um, I think Gino, it seems like he's playing well defensively in practice, which is good. Um, I think that's something that at least I noticed when uh, when he came aboard. It seemed like everybody was was very, very concerned about the defensive end of things. But because he's been there all summer and all the freshmen have been there all summer, I'd say like the concerns for everybody looking at Thorpe um, and, and, again, the, the, all the freshmen, looking at them and even Moyer, who, again, didn't get to play last year, like – these guys have actually been playing together now for a few months, uh, which is not something you see all the time. And Beheim touched on this, that like the program doesn't push for it. They, they don't ask kids to do that. But all of them did show up, and all of them got to really you know get some work in and, and get into the system now, where they're a few months further along than they would be otherwise. And that was really one of the biggest issues last year. Um, you know, After the hot start uh, for us, I think you know things kind of fell apart for a good like several-week stretch, and a lot of that was just because... Uh, the unfamiliarity of it all and the tendencies that need to get broken. I think with this group, being able to, to hit the ground running this summer has, a, has the potential to really you know, allow us to maybe um, defy some expectations, at least early on. Yeah, I mean, that was a nice thing for Thorpe getting in early. Uh, I can't remember exactly when he committed, but compared to like when Andrew White... Which I think was like it was, the last possible day to commit. Yeah, it was, it was crazy how long he took. Um, and obviously White had some really good moments last year and was a consistent player. Um, but it's not easy to just come in and pick up the zone and, and pick a gel with your teammates and get that chemistry that's needed. Um, and then throw in, uh, our other transfer, John Gillen, who had a couple of like huge, like all time moments, but also was never really a defensive fit, which made it hard for him to play in a lot of crucial moments. Like he would either play a ton because he was lighting it up offensively or you, you know, he was kind of a liability, so you couldn't keep him out there. Um, Thorpe, I know, like defensively, doesn't have the greatest reputation, but he is six three. Um, he fits the bill a little bit more, at least in terms of his size profile uh, at the top of the zone. Um, and he's a very capable offensive player um, who should at least, uh, at worst, I mean, he's not going to start right away. I assume, um, unless but between the health and the fact that Frank Howard is kind of the established guy for better or worse. Um, seems better right but, now, based on Jim Beheim seems complimentary. Frank seems confident. I hope so. I I, <laughs> I, I need just need to see it um, with him. Uh, I hope so. I mean, he's been here for a long time now, so you would hope that it would click eventually. And he has had some good moments. Like he's he's looked the part at times, and then he's just gotten so so buried and so uh, doghouse. Just had some games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, between the doghouse and and I don't know if it's a confidence thing, but. He's, just disappeared for such long stretches. But hopefully, I mean, I, if it all clicks, then we have a very interesting backcourt um, because Battle's a potential star. Howard is is a veteran, uh, at least the closest thing to a veteran we have on this in this program right now. And Thorpe is a guy who's played big-time collegiate minutes. He's a double-digit scorer at USF uh, against, you know, decent competition in the AAC. Um, if that's our bench guy and he's coming in and he can give us double-digit points off the bench and... He's a, uh, you know, roughly just a shade under 40% three-point shooter and uh, can play at least capable defense um, and both guard positions. I think that's, that's a nice player to have. Yeah, you know, another thing Gino it brings up, like, an interesting point here, and, you know, we can tie in, I guess, not as much white, but you can tie in Gellin. Like, 
are, are John Gillen and, and Gino Thorpe like the this new kind of player, like this 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 college globetrotter, like a guy who just manages to upgrade his situation year after year? Because it seems like the two of them have had that in common, at least, in that you know they they, they showed an ability to score, an ability to pass the basketball, um, but were able to like upgrade their 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 college situation, you know, year after year. Um, and, and this this being Syracuse being the third stop for both of those guys, I do wonder if that's uh, you've seen a little bit around the country, but I wonder if this is turning into a little bit of like a niche, um, not for Syracuse necessarily, but just in general like guards who manage to to make that like year over year leap um, repeatedly. Yeah, I think it's a little different with Gillen because he kind of went from like what was his first school? I can't remember. Uh, uh, Arkansas Little Rock, or did he go from Arkansas Little Rock to Colorado State? It was Arkansas Little Rock, uh, yeah, Arkansas Little Rock, or whatever school it was, and then Colorado yeah. State, and then Syracuse. So he kind of climbed the rank more. I mean, I guess you could argue between uh, Penn State and USF for Thorpe. I guess Penn State, by default, is the bigger program playing in the Big Ten. But it's um, also been garbage for upwards of 20 years. Yeah, I mean, they occasionally flirt with, like, the NIT. Um, it seemed like he just wanted probably more of a role. He played 24 minutes at Penn State his sophomore year. Uh average eight points. So it wasn't like he wasn't playing. Right. Um, and a Pittsburgh guy, so it wasn't like he was going back close at home. I think he just probably wanted a bigger profile. But yeah, overall, I mean, you definitely do see more of these double transfers and, and people complain about it. I have, I don't care. Like, I, I just really do not care about players, you know, if, if they want to stay at the same place all four years, that's great, but they should be able to do whatever they want. So, um, and if Syracuse can take advantage, then more power to them. Yeah, and we have a lot lately. I know there's a again, there's a couple of transfers on this team alone, and uh, and Thorpe and Shukwu, who people probably forget at this point that he was a transfer as well um, last year. That's why we've only won because we just lost Torian Thompson. Who, if we had, we would be uh, in a much more. Uh, I think we'd be a lot more confident about what this team is, considering he would probably be the second best player on it. I would have to agree there. Um, so we talked a little bit about a little bit about Battle, and I think we can get back to him, um, Thorpe. I know we covered. Frank Howard, uh, Jim Beheim did mention that uh, he sees a little bit of Scoop Jardine in him. Uh, I don't know if he actually does or if that's just an easy reference point for folks, um, especially when you're at ACC Media Day. No matter how many years we've been in the conference, it just seems like they're just tough to, to get on board with, the, with, with Syracuse in some ways. Um, so maybe it was just an easy reference point for folks to say, oh, yeah, I remember Scoop, and then like compare. Because I do think their games are super different. Um, but I, I do like, I do like what I'm hearing about Frank and I do like the upside that he presents. And, and now that it's, now that he's not necessarily having somebody breathing down his neck, cause I think Howard Washington, and again, someone we'll get to like, I don't think Howard Washington is necessarily breathing down his neck. Um, Howard might finally be in a comfort zone that he hasn't been previously. Yeah. I think physically Howard has like all the tools you'd want for a Syracuse point guard. He's, he's athletic. He can get to the rim. He's shown a, a, a decent shot before. He's good, good court vision. Um, it's just the consistency that's a problem. He's ba- I mean, he sits with five. He's, he's a big guard at the top, which I always am partial to. Um, and, and last year we gave him the shot, and he really didn't, uh, didn't win it um, for a myriad of reasons. Uh, but, over, I mean, I think it, it, it probably is good that Beheim he's the guy. Like, there just aren't – maybe Thorpe takes over for him if he can't do it, but um, – I, I, I like that we're giving him the first shot. I think that could be empowering for him. 
Um, and he'll have a running mate in battle like that he knows he can rely on. Yeah, they actually um, seem like they're good friends. There's like an actual chemistry great. there that yeah just never happened last year with the guard position because there were too many new guys. Yeah, because you had White coming in last second. You had Gillen who you know it seemed like Gillen bonded pretty well with the guys from yeah. like what we've seen on social media and stuff. But you know he like on court chemistry. It's not like he had been playing with them for three years, and he was kind of a weird fit. Like as I said before. Uh, for the system, and obviously I'll take the 40-point outbursts all day. I'm not complaining about those. Um, but Howard, like, I think on paper fits really well. I thought he fit really well as a recruit. Uh, it's just a matter of getting it from him every day. Um, but if Beheim's confident in him, I mean, obviously Beheim has, has shown his willingness to not be confident in Frank Howard, so um, I think, you know, his words probably do have a little extra weight in this uh, one regard. I don't necessarily see the stoop thing, but uh, just referring to another smooth Syracuse point guard, I think, is, is fine. Um, but if he's good, I mean, if we get a good uh, Franklin Howard who starts every game, who is, uh, you know, not turning the ball over uh, a ton, who can store in spots but is setting up other guys, uh, and then we can get a nice three-guard rotation with him in battle, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting group. Um, but he's still a mystery uh, just in terms of, of his consistency and, and if we're going to just not lose him from game to game, which which obviously happened last year. Right. Yeah, and I mean, by, I think, midway through the season, he was pretty much a non-factor, and that not an option this year. Um, if it happens, God forbid, uh, at least we do have one other option here, and that's uh, the aforementioned uh, Howard Washington, who, uh, freshman, local-ish, Buffalo, um, but the type of guy that could really round into something for Syracuse. I don't I just don't know if it's this year, and that's not because of a lack of talent. It's just because of a lack of need, which is, again, a good thing in, in my mind. I mean, it's going to be the first three guys, I mean, the three quote-unquote veterans first. But, I mean, if Howard Washington's good, then there's no reason to keep him off the court. Like, right. if he can play right away, obviously, uh, is he the one who compared himself to Tyler Ennis uh, earlier uh, this year? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. I mean, I would take that. Obviously, Ennis was the guy coming in. Like, he was a five-star player. He was... Um, we didn't know he'd be quite as awesome as he was that one year, but uh, Washington definitely has, has less uh, of a weight on his shoulders heading in. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if he can, if he proves to be good enough to track this rotation, the, this just seems like a team where Beheim, like there's no reason not to get guys out there who are going to play well and try to develop whomever, because I don't know what the ceiling is for this team as currently constructed. But I think if you get a lot of guys playing time and you can, uh, kind of develop this roster as a whole like this could be an awesome team in a couple of years if, if guys develop and and reach their potential in years two and three just because it's so young across the board um and washington's one of those key guys like he's obviously the forwards like we kind of need them to step up just because of the numbers washington could probably afford to hang back a little bit and he you know maybe by by the time the bayham cuts his rotation down to the seven that it always ends up being uh we see less of him but um if he's like a diamond in the rough like let's toss him out there see what he can do yeah i see why not um so dan who's your starting five if you're looking over this group um i think it's going i mean i, I think we're pretty well established that it's going to be howard and battle uh, at the one and two um i think then it'll likely be it seems like a moyer will start for sure and then um i guess present by default uh i'm not sure quite who else would be at that other wing um and then I'm guessing Chukwu will be the starting center most every game, but I'm, it depends on whether he gets like the early pull, uh, as we saw f- uh, for early career Fab Mello and Routine Christmas, 
or if he actually ends up being a force. Otherwise, then it wouldn't shock me. We, it feels like Bayheim's kind of been more willing to change up his starting lineup midway through the year in the last couple where we've had weird lineups, and then maybe you see a Sadibi or you see uh, maybe Battle move down to the three and uh, we get Thorpe in there. Um, but overall, to start the year, I think it'll be Howard Battle, uh, Brissette Moyer, Chukwu. Yeah, I, I, I said I have to agree there. Um, I think we're going to see some different looks, though, too. Um, obviously, we're going to see, I think, some situations where it's Battle, Howard, and uh, and Thorpe out there, uh, with Battle probably slotting in at the three. Um, and then I think we see, you know, depending on the situation, like if we're looking for more offense, maybe it's Brissett over Moyer. If we're looking for more defense, maybe it's Moyer over Brissett. Maybe we go a little bit smaller uh, with Brissett and Moyer playing the four and the five. Um, maybe Sadibe. Sadibe is going to work in there, too, obviously. Like, I think there's a lot of possibilities for this group, and like I said earlier, I think that Bayheim, like, if he's viewing this as an opportunity, and I think he is, um, there's some real fun chances here to uh, to mix up this lineup and uh, and give a lot of different looks that we haven't really had the opportunity to do. But again, the the, the counter there is that it's also going to be a lot of inexperience as well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can't remember a Syracuse team that profiled this way just based on. Just inexperience, so much inexperience across the board. I guess the last time would probably be 07, which is before my enrollment. So, um, but obviously mind. those guys were, <laughs> yeah. But obviously those guys were like more known quantities, even as recruits. Right. Um, and and you had other guys who ended up getting hurt, like Devendorf and Routens that year. Um, so, uh, an interesting spot. I, I can't really blame a lot of these uh, the preseason projections that have SU in like the bottom. The bottom, I mean, the bottom half for sure, but, like, between... I think feel like we're, we're filing between, like, 9 and 12 in almost all the preseason projections, and I, I really can't blame anyone for doing that, considering what the unknowns of this team are. But yeah. it wouldn't shock me if they're, like, you know, sneakily uh, dangerous. I mean, Beheim is a Hall of Famer for a reason. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he's, like, kind of reinvigorated by the whole staff shakeup this year, even if... I don't know that we would sign for it. Um this could be like an exciting uh, kind of experiment for him, and he's going to want to prove himself after losing Hopkins and kind of having a lot of doubt on what this program is going after a, a missed tournament and uh, two pretty up and down seasons. I'd agree. Um, all right, why don't we uh, we dive into the schedule a little bit? You know, we don't have to go game by game for all this crap because too many games, but. Um... Just look at the non-conference schedule. You got 13 games in here. This is what the second to last year we're doing the 18 game um, ACC schedule. Uh, I, I think both of us have expressed a desire to play less, well, to, to keep things the way they are if possible. But it seems that's not going to happen. Um, I'm going to look through quick. Dan, are there any any sure losses for you in this non-conference schedule? Uh, let me go down. Um, Kansas is tough. Yeah, <laughs> Kansas I mean, is uh, really is always going to be tough, but they, I mean, they they roll over a lot of their roster every year now too. Not to the same extent that uh, a Duke or a Kentucky does uh, by default, but I mean they have some big time players. I think they have. Um, is this the first year that the uh, Mississippi, the, uh, Mississippi State transfer? Um, I think he's. I'm, I'm forgetting his name. Um, I believe so. Yeah. The point guard. He's coming off of his uh, his year off uh, for transferring. Um, I mean, they're just always a loaded. I mean, we talked about uh, in the other podcast. Florida State's like 
just behind uh, that top two group. Like that's where Kansas is basketball recruiting wise. Like they're always going to be um, an extremely talented bunch uh, and generally a little more veteran. Um, so early on in the season, I think that's a really tough matchup. Although they did only beat Mizzou in that. I mean, it's, it was a you know very early season exhibition, but they only beat Mizzou, who has been pretty bad. The fact that they have the number one recruit in the country now, uh, regardless, they beat them by six. So I don't know what that really says, and and that was a weird situation. Just was a late scheduled exhibition for charity, um, but yeah, I, I would be very surprised if we beat Kansas. <laughs> yeah, I'm not backing on that, especially away from home. Um, I think that one I'll put as a loss. I'm going to put Maryland as a loss as well. I just think it's too early. Like if it was a little bit later, I think the guys had a little more time to gel. I think Maryland brings back enough talent. Um, where it's just not going to work out for us, unfortunately. I think we beat Georgetown. I think we I think Buffalo, St. Bonaventure, Eastern Michigan. I think we beat UConn too. So uh, I'm, this probably seems overly optimistic, but I'll take eleven and two in the non-conference. Yeah, we better beat Georgetown. I mean, the fact that they like stripped down their schedule, like it, everything that they did. Uh, this year was sending the message that Patrick Ewing thinks that team's pretty terrible. <laughs> so, despite the fact that we've struggled with them recently, even when they haven't been very good, uh, and it's a rivalry game, so throw out the records or whatever, um, we better be Georgetown. Uh, UConn should be a bit more of a challenge. Uh, it's at MSG um, in the Jimmy V Classic, but we've played them uh, tough as of late. Um, but they're also, like, their roster's in a weird spot. They haven't responded well to uh, the post-national um, championship years here. Uh, so I have hope about that UConn game, although I think both teams are, are pretty largely unknown. They're probably a little bit more of a, a known quantity, um, but it's not like they're, you know, they haven't been recruiting all that well considering the prestige of that program. Uh, so I think Kansas is the only one that you, like, put in in permanent marker. Right. Maryland is, is pretty well established. That's a really tough team. Um, though it's at the Dome and, you know, it's early in the year, so a lot's up in the air with, with all these teams. But otherwise, like, I, I mean, I don't know a lot about uh, the St. Bonnies and the um, Oaklands of the world that, you know, are occasionally pretty tricky. But um, you would hope that Syracuse would be able to pull out all of the rest of the schedule. Yeah, I mean... Like Texas Southern, I think they made the tournament last year. Oakland's a really good team. Iona's been pretty good, but they lose like everybody. Um, Bonnie's worry me a little bit, um, but luckily I feel like like if the Bonnie's game took place like when the Iona or the Texas Southern game took place instead. Like I'd be more worried about it. I think we'll know going into that game like what we're going to get from Syracuse against the St. Bonaventure. Yeah, I think that's right. The Bonnies are always tricky because they also, like, get up for the dam a lot. Yeah. Um, we've seen, like, some really chippy games against the Bonnies. I think we, like, start... I, obviously, I don't think we would play there now anyway, but I, it, I believe that's, like, a team that we refuse to play in only in because of uh, some shenanigans with the fans out there. Fans, there's the uh, the nut punch game. Yep. All kinds of other... And you know what, yeah, St. Bonaventure fans are kind of, I know I've talked to a couple St. Bonaventure fans um, about this, and they uh, they are a little chippy about it still, but they definitely want to beat Syracuse. Uh, you know, obviously they want to make the NCAA tournament, but I think that the next most important thing for them is beating Syracuse in non-conference play, which, I mean, cool. I, uh, I'm fine with having a target on our backs, and I'm fine with, uh, fine with adding some intrigue to some other games that uh, otherwise lacked it. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm... I'm... 
if there's a little more juice for some of those early conference games, I, that's not the worst thing in the world. But overall, I'm now finally, first of all, Kansas basketballs, their athletic site is like super stupid navity, and maybe it's that I'm just used to um, a lot of the sidearm sites, and it doesn't appear that they're sidearm, but like it took me forever to find their roster. I was talking about Malik Newman earlier, who transferred from Mississippi State. Um, but that, that's this roster is really good, so that, that's going to be a really that's going to be a really brutal one. Devontae Graham's back. Gerald Vick is is a kind of a rising player for them. Um, they have uh, Billy Preston, who's a really talented freshman, and uh, yeah, we almost the... came to Syracuse. At least we thought he would. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I, I think we kind of fell out of it towards the end, but he was definitely recruited by us. And then the uh, I think we're in year like seventeen of uh, Svi Mikhailuk. <laughs> he was still there apparently. Huh. Um, who uh, will occasionally go crazy from three. Um, okay. So yeah, Kansas is definitely the the uh, top game of this non-conference slate. But every other game, like Maryland is just, you know, they're, they're pretty well established in who they are now. Um, every other game, I think, is, is pretty winnable. And if, if you only lose two in this non-conference, I mean, that's not a bad footing to go on. Uh, and that would include picking up two nice ones in UConn and Georgetown, which would make everyone happy. Yeah. Especially given the recent results against them, I would uh, I would love to grab us some uh, some wins against those schools. Uh, so looking at the ACC schedule, um, we're not going to go game by game unless we want to. Uh, but I feel, and also, why does SU Athletics have a blacked out Syracuse logo, which is Georgia Tech's logo? That's kind of I weird. am I'm I just noticed that as you said it. Very weird. <laughs> You know, the early schedule here uh, should really tell us a lot about what this team's capable of, in the ACC at least. Uh, you got Vatek, who should be a top-half team, um, if not better. I think some people see them as a fringe top 25. Buzz Williams has been able to really kind of improve that program in a hurry. Um, you got Wake, who should be down due to the fact that John Collins is gone. Um, Notre Dame is a top third team for sure. Um, and then at Virginia, a team that's going to be resetting a little bit. And at Florida State, a team that's going to be faded down. So I feel like I'm going to know a hell of a lot about the Syracuse team after the first five, um, despite the fact that three of those are on the road. Um, I, I think that this really does run the gamut. I mean, you don't face the North Carolinas and Dukes of the world, but you're going to face everything else. Um, if Syracuse can get through this stretch at three and two or better, I, I'm going to be pretty, I think, positive about our uh, what we have up ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of just, like, kind of middle of the ACC teams here. Uh, Vitek might be a little better. Um, going to Wake is tough. Uh, Virginia, like, I still believe that they'll be a really well-coached, tough team to play. Um, Notre Dame is obviously the, the big one here. I think Notre Dame could be really, really good this year. Yep. Like, it would not shock me if they won the league. Um, they return a lot. Obviously, Bonzi Colson's back, uh, who is uh, done a Super lot of good. preseason – yeah, he's really good. He's a I great finally saw player. him in person last year. Uh, so I'm during the ACC tournament in Brooklyn, and I was thir- I mean, he he was playing like a man among boys for a lot of that game. Yeah, he's just like such. A, he's a very unique talent, and there are not a lot of guys like him in the college team. Uh, I don't know where he goes from there, but for like Notre Dame's purposes, he's he's fantastic. So um, this first five, like you said. Uh, a really good barometer because you're not like throwing yourself at the like big wolves at the top, but it's it's a lot of teams in the middle, and I don't think any of them are going to be like the the dregs of the of the ACC. I mean, the worst team here is probably Florida State, um, 
Yeah, and Florida State were never like well, they were uh, a super breezy out. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're well coached. I just think they do uh, they do lose just too much. Don't don't tell them they're don't tell Florida State fans are well coached after the NCAA tournament play out. <laughs> Ooh boy! <laughs> but I mean, they're they're a fairly consistent competitive team, right? Um, and we're on the road there, so that won't be super. That won't be easy by any means. I feel that. Um. All right, looking down a little bit more. Again, we're not going game by game. We're just kind of grouping these things together. Um, the only thing that concerns, like, of course, the one year that like Pitt is just abject garbage, and like they're going to be one of the worst teams in probably maybe the worst Power Five team to be perfectly honest, because they lost everybody um, with like little warning. Um, we faced them twice in an eleven game in eleven day stretch, um, which worries me a little bit. Um, then you got Boston College sandwiched in there, so we should go three and zero in there. And again, if you start three and two or better, if you go three and zero in this stretch now, now suddenly you got some momentum. You're let's say six and two minimum, seven and one max probably um, in conference. Like that's a great, great start for a Syracuse team that a lot of people have questions about. Yeah, and that's along with what I mean. How many non-conference teams did we say we had? Um, I gave us eleven and two. Yeah, it was eleven and two. So if you happen, if you are seventeen and four start the year um with the heart of the ACC schedule like I think that's a really good start especially for what we think this team's going to be and then I mean that it, you would have to really really struggle down the stretch to miss out on the tournament I think and knock on wood but none of this has happened yet so I'm not too worried about jinxing anything um you'd really need uh a spectacular flame out to not like get to you know fighting distance of 20 wins and and you know hopefully a couple decent ones there with an improving young team uh, to get back to the tournament. Um, obviously, you have to prove that you're better than Pitt and BC, which Pitt should be really bad. Like you said, they lost so much, and they're just their program's kind of in shambles right now. Um, BC is they made not a terrible. Good. They made a terrible goddamn hire. <laughs> yeah, it was really really bad. It's I, I always enjoy those hires that like you say it, that's a really bad hire, and then it just proves itself. Immediately, even like, more so, like even more than we thought it was going to prove itself. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that it, it would turn into this much of a fiasco. You just, I just kind of thought Pitt would be less of a thorn in our side and just kind of decidedly mediocre. Um, they're just like, what, what, what is going on there? BC is just not very good, but they've been annoying for us the last couple of years. So you can't just, you, unfortunately, you can't pencil that in as a win. People um, seem to love Kai Bowman and uh, Jerome Robinson for some reason. Uh, Ty Bowman had, had his moments. I mean, they're um, good, but like people are like really big fans of them for some reason. Yeah, I guess when you have known quantities in college basketball, it's always nice to like give them some love. But uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, pencil them in as all ACC performance or anything. Somebody did. <laughs> is, is is he in in these like all ACC teams? Yeah, like there's like a lot of people like love in them. I mean, Rothstein did a whole thing about them too. Like it just there's a lot of talk about them, and I'm like, whatever. Like, uh, I know uh, what was it, Norlanders rankings where like he had us like had like BC like directly below us and and he said the only reason why he had us in the top 100 was because of Bayheim like okay so BC suddenly a better program than us like I don't buy that yeah I think I think sometimes you're just kind of looking for an interesting angle and BC might be better but them even being like close to 500 in the ACC would be pretty sharp jarring even if they have a couple established guys yeah let's not let's not get carried away um so, not to group too many games together, but these, like, next seven here are really kind of where the schedule gets interesting. 
Um, is it seven? Maybe it's eight. Seven, eight. Okay, eight. So these next eight games really where the whole season gets defined. Um, let's say in a best case scenario again, you're 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 six and two, seven and one. Um, actually, six and two is like a okay that could definitely happen. Seven and one is a super optimistic view. But um, got at Georgia Tech, Virginia at Louisville, Wake Forest is the next four. Um, Georgia Tech's going to be tough, especially if we're not playing well in ter- on the inside. I think Ben Lammers, is, as was mentioned, is super good. Um, Virginia, I think we'll know what we're getting from them after the, the previous game. Um, and then you got at Louisville. And Louisville, they're, they're still projected to be a top-20 team. I really think that they could be in a, a ball of flames at this point. Um, and then Wake Forest, uh, who, again, I think we I think we beat them. And I think, it's, I think the teams we double up on this year are really nice, uh, Virginia aside. Because um, it's 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 great to see, in Pitt and BC just be a uh, whole lot of garbage, and especially Pitt just being you know just abjectly bad. Yeah, um, I think the schedule does work itself out fairly well there. I mean, you'll I think they'll usually sign for getting Wake twice a month. I, I don't think Wake will be terrible, but they're not. They haven't been a, like one of the upper echelon ACC teams in a while. Um, Pitt and BC, you'll always take twice, I feel like. I mean, not always, but Pitt definitely right now you would, and BC is usually a good bet. Um, Louisville, which we have once, it's they're, they're going to be one of the more interesting teams because they have um, an all-new coaching staff, including former Syracuse. Uh, I was I was made fun of for saying this on Twitter. Syracuse great, Greg Paulus. Um, <laughs> He's one of the ten best clear- quarterbacks we've ever had statistically. <laughs> Clear sarcasm that not everyone picked up on. I really didn't think I had to, like, make it obvious, but more obvious than it already was. Um, but good for him. Like, that's really cool that he has a, a pretty prominent assistant coaching job out of nowhere um, after spending a while at Ohio State under Thad Mata as a video coordinator. Um, but, like, I, they're talented. Like, they have a lot of very good players. Uh, I think if Rick Pitino was there and didn't have all the scandals hanging over them, they'd be a cinch for the tournament and probably like a top five or six seed at worst. Um, but you, I mean, it's, it's really hard to know how this program's going to react like that. They went through like all, I'm not, they're not victims really, but like just all of the scandal aside, like they've just been through a lot as, as a group of young players. So it's really impossible to know how they're going to respond to new coaching, uh, an entire new staff that was thrown together. What, like a week or two before the season starts. Right. Um, after playing a pretty definitive system, like I'm sure that Padgett's going to try to continue like the, the press and, and all the, the little bit of zone that Patino throws in and all of uh, his normal nuances. But is he going to be able to do it the same way? Like would, would uh, you know, a new coach step right in for Bayheim and be able to just run the zone, even if he was their assistant for a while? Like, no, it's not just even the system. It's, it's, it's the adjustments too. It's, it's the, like where Hopkins seemed to fall a little bit short, at least, you know, trying to replicate everything Jim was doing. He didn't want to rock the boat, didn't want to change much, too much. But he also, the in-game adjustments is just something that you just get with time. And yeah. it's something that, that Patino just thrived with. And I don't know if Patch is going to be, I mean, no matter how good he is, he's not going to be able to replicate those right away. Yeah, I mean, say what you want about Patino. Um, Stamble aside, like, he was one of the very best game coaches. Like, he coached the hell out of a game. And you just, you're not going to have the same ability on the sideline and Padgett might end up being a great coach. Like, it's a good opportunity for him. Um, but he's not going to be Rick Pitino from day one. I mean, we saw this with Hopkins. Like you said, it wasn't his program, so a little different. Like, Padgett kind of has his reign. I mean, he's only the interim, but he has reign to kind of do this how he sees fit and try to win this job. Um, Hopkins did not have that concern. But 
you're not going to step in and be Rick Pitino on day one. Um, so it, maybe he he gets the most out of this team, and they end up being uh, you know a top twenty team, like you said. They they talent wise, they probably are, and and maybe they hold for uh, you know hold serve at home. Uh, I think we're at Louisville, right? Yeah, we're yeah. at the Yum Center on Big Monday. Oh, um, so that's going to be tough either way, but. Like I wouldn't shock me if this team just kind of packed it in, and and some of the, these guys were just not into what they thought this Louisville experience was going to be because the, the program has been uh, hit pretty hard even before this, and now it's just another another huge uh, thing that's kind of impending. Like the story's not even over, which makes it worse. You don't know what the NCAA is going to end up doing, so just a giant giant cloud hanging over the Louisville team, um, and it's really hard to know how they'll react because college basketball players are young and. It's it's kind of an impossible spot for them. It's true, and yet, like if Donovan Mitchell was still here, I'd be a little more like high on them. Obviously, just from, not just a talent standpoint, but just an experience level, and a you know, like who's able to help kind of guide them. Like they have players. I just again, I I think they're still a tournament team, assuming they're eligible. Um, but I I don't know if they're they're going to be in the upper echelon that, that people seem to be projecting them at. So I, I, I'd say they probably finish closer to like that six, seven, eight spot um, than like the, the three, four that people seem to be banking on. Yep. And then you have a really interesting coaching matchup just for, for the Syracuse team. I mean, you'll have Beheim against a rookie head coach. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll take, I'll take Beheim. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that Syracuse's roster will be, uh, up to what Louisville's is if they still have everyone going and, and they're all, you know, kind of getting at least close to the most they can out of it. But, um, you know, we've seen Beheim just pull out some some coaching. I, I don't think he gets enough credit for his in-name coaching. Obviously, there are spots where he hasn't been great, but, like, he every couple, every year or so, there's a game where he just does some, some makes some huge adjustments and really shows off, like, why he's a Hall of Famer. And I, I think you'll see a, a pretty glaring difference between him and Paget who is taking over at such a, a weird time and weird spot way before he was projected to be a head coach anywhere. 100%. Um, so, like, without, like, you know, just glossing over the rest of the schedule, like, I think we're going to lose to Miami, North Carolina, and Duke, which is, no matter where we are, I think it's going to send the fan base and a lot of commentators into a tailspin because they are back-to-back-to-back, and I know I mentioned it when the schedule came out. Like, that just sucks. Um, I don't know who we... Uh, that, that's brutal. It's, like, I don't know who we pissed it, off at, 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 in Greensboro. Oh, I know exactly who we pissed off in Greensboro. But <laughs> we pissed off Greensboro. Yeah, we picked off Greensboro, so there's a problem. Um, but yeah, we uh, after a uh, Valentine's Day date against NC State, and again, I I feel like we play on Valentine's Day every year, and I'm not sure why. Um, it doesn't really do me any favors, nor anyone else who covers the team or watches the team in any way. Um, but yeah, we got two out of three um, on the road in this stretch here, and uh, it's at Miami, then North Carolina four days later. Then um, at least you get you know like a three day break before Duke. But if we go any better than one and two against those teams, I'm going to be elated. Even if we go one and two, I'm probably going to be elated to be honest because I think all three of those teams are potential Final Four contenders. Yeah, I mean they're three of the top four teams in the ACC in all likelihood. You steal one, you're, you you sign for it. I think uh, assuming that you're not fighting for your life at that point, um, which is maybe a, a bold assumption, but. You hope that Syracuse has done enough before this to like look like a you know solidly second or third tier ACC team that should make the tournament, and you don't need to steal two of these uh, because that that's just a that's a really tough road. I guess I'd probably I'd probably take my chances at Miami. Um, yeah, 
And I mean, and that's a great win. Like, if you're not if you're not in already, then that's that could potentially be what gets you in because it's a road it's a big road victory against what's going to be a top fifteen squad. Yeah, I mean, just because like Miami's not going to be the, the same home environment as as at Duke or and, and I just trust UNC a little more. But yeah. man, that's 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 tough. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't have to worry too much about going zero and three there. Um, because it's going to be rough. But if they steal one, I mean, any of those three wins will look really good, assuming these teams uh, play up to expectation. I would concur. Uh, and then the last two, uh, I think we beat BC at BC, and I think we beat Clemson because I think Clemson, without Blossom game, is so much worse. Yeah, Blossom game was, was so underrated for them. Um, and they just, like, they should take a pretty sizable step back. I don't think they're a terribly coached team or anything. I just don't know they're not the depth of talent to uh, – to be great, I see they're projected ahead of us in a couple of these, uh, a couple of these sites. But sure, what I just don't. Tr- yeah, I mean they have some nice players. Reed's fine. Shelton, Mar- uh, Shelton Mitchell's uh, a nice player. They have some ability. But Blossom Dame was like one of the best players in the conference um, for a couple of years. Very unheralded, but he's like the only reason they were even close to the tournament a couple of these times. So um, losing him is going to be uh, a jarring adjustment for them, I think. Yeah. Uh, so straw poll here. I got us at. 20 and 11 overall. Yeah, uh, I'm just going through a count here because I, I forgot to like actually. Yeah, no, I, I, I hadn't either. I was just kind of like while you were talking, I was just kind of scanning quick. I think we'll go. Yeah, I think 2011 probably sounds good. I don't like doing the same exact answer, but I just did it really quickly. I'd say I'd say we're, we're between 19 and 21. Um, 2011 seems Seems good, giving us you know a couple decent road wins and and probably dropping one or two that you know we hope we would get. But like at Georgia Tech, like given how the that game played out last year, um, I think that's a tough one. That's probably one of these like hinge games. Um, but twenty eleven in the ACC going into the tournament, I feel like that should probably be enough to get into the NCAA's um, without too much drama. Uh, assuming you pick up at least one or two. Uh, solid wins against like the top four or five of the ACC. Yeah, I mean, really, like that that, that twenty and eleven, like that's nine and nine in conference. That assumes like zero upsets. Um, to be honest, that's not going to get you into the tournament. Um, but assuming we probably drop like some stupid game NC State or Wake Forest, and then I'll trade that with a win at Louisville or at Miami um, or potentially at Virginia, like something like that is fine. Um, I do think, though, like looking at, again, looking at the schedule, like the total win number isn't necessarily what's going to get us in this year. Like we really do need to mix it up because the ACC did us a favor in some ways is that we're not going to let necessarily lose. We're not going to lose face because of the the bad games on the schedule that we're going to be able to win. But then it becomes like, okay, like we've seen this a, a lot lately. Can we can we not just win the games we're supposed to win? Can we pull off a couple upsets, potentially away from home, that, that are going to really dictate whether or not we make this tournament? I think that, that the committee's made it pretty obvious that you know winning 20 games or so in the ACC is not going to get you in if you don't have those quality wins, um, especially away from home, to, to pair with them. Go, you guys beat the exact bottom uh, eight of the league, and I assume that we're not going to do a full year without snagging one against like these the top tier programs here because, I mean, virtually every year, even the worst Syracuse teams pick up a big win or two. So, um, but I, I mean, I could see this this team could also go win like sixteen games if things just don't play out. It's just such a such a crapshoot. Um, I like to try to you know believe in Bayheim and and I do think uh, 
even if this is a bad year, um, just the total youth and, and, and inexperience of what will be almost the entire uh, rotation to pay dividends going forward uh, with a lot of those guys getting experience. But uh, it's, it's more or less uncharted territory with how little we bring back, um, which isn't great. I would definitely love to have Torian Thompson. Uh, I think that would really change things. But um, it's the hand we've been dealt, so... Uh, it, it's at least exciting in, in the uh, mystery that, that presents itself here. Yeah, so Dan, I guess looking at that being the realistic view, like what is your ceiling for this team? And we're going to have our prediction thread, I think, next week. But like what's your ceiling for what this team can do both in the regular season, maybe how far can it go in the ACC tournament, and then how far can it go in the NCAAs? Um, I, I feel like the ceiling's like fairly high. I mean, if you just hit on a couple of these these freshmen and battle vaults into like an all ACC caliber player and you get good play from, from Howard and, uh, and from Thorpe, I mean, you could have a, a pretty strong team. I don't think we're going to be cracking like the top four or five of the ACC, but I could see us being a, you know, the sixth or seventh best team in the conference and a, and a pretty dangerous, uh, tournament team playing a unique style. Um, maybe a sweet 16 team at best, but I also think the, the variance is super high. So I think the floor is like, I mean, the floor is this team doesn't make the NIT. So it's uh, it's definitely the highest variance Syracuse team I think we've we've had on a, on a full year scale uh, in a long long time. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. I think the the floor for this team just based on the non conference and based on the the lesser conference schedule, which again good and bad, um, I think is probably sixteen seventeen wins is the floor, which is I mean that's like the ceiling for some programs, high Boston College. Um, but I, I think that yeah, ceiling. For this team, though, is probably even if we hit on the the sum of the frosh, I'm gonna go with uh, give me like 24 and seven as the ceiling, and then I guess whatever happens from there. Like I'd love to actually win an ACC basketball tournament game for once, since we've yet to do that. Yeah, we should get on that. Like it's, uh, yeah. it's starting to get like kind of comical. I know we missed one of the tournaments, and there it's been kind of weird spots. But like, please let's. Got one of those. Yeah, still dumb. Um, yeah, I'd love to get a win there. Even if we just get one, I don't really care anymore. I just, I just want one. Um, hopefully I'm there again. Who knows? Um, and then uh, in the tournament, I don't think this team can make past Sweet 16. Like, that's that's Yeah, I'd be very surprised ceiling. if they're better than that. I, if, if they make the NCAA tournament with this team, just heading, I mean, obviously expectations shift during the year. But if, if this roster as currently constructed gets to the NCAA tournament, I'll have a hard time feeling too disappointed. Yeah. I would agree there. I think uh I think for me, even even in season, like I'll have to keep telling myself a couple times that like it's probably fine if we don't make it past Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. And obviously things change from your like we could say that we could be in a Sweet 16 game and Xavier uh, up three with uh, a minute left, and I, then I think we would probably yeah. feel pretty bad about it. And then, but um, God damn it, I want to win. Damn mustard tears. Um, no, but overall, like, I think if this team makes it back to the tournament and shows a lot of development and uh, sets itself up for you know adding a pretty well-situated 2018 class uh, coming in uh, with Baisley and company, um, and obviously the younger Beheim. Um I think it would be a, a pretty pretty solid step forward for the this like last run of the Beheim uh, era. So it, it's 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 a weird rebuild year, which I feel like we haven't had. Um, 
even last year with, you know, we brought in grad transfers with the intention of competing right away. And we had really high hopes heading into the season. Um, and it's definitely a different feel, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I'm going to hopefully have pretty, pretty real. Hopefully we'll all have pretty realistic expectations considering how this is such a young roster and there's just, you know, it's a really tough league. Get to the tournament, I think that would be a good baseline. Same. Uh, and yeah, you know what? Dan, despite this being a football and beer podcast, you managed to talk about the basketball team for an hour. Yeah, I mean, we are we, we do talk about Syracuse, so I feel like we should give the basketball program at least uh, half the attention that we give to whatever it was that we talked about last week. Uh, well, last week, I don't, I know we got one positive comment. I, I, I don't really look at the, the, the podcast reviews on a week-to-week basis. That's probably a good thing. I almost want to now, because good lord. Yeah, just for, <laughs> just, just for shits and giggles. Um, anyway, uh, that was our season preview podcast, the Syracuse men's basketball team, 2017-2018 edition. It should be fun. It should be interesting. It should be unknown, which is uh, not something we've been able to say lately. Again, that could uh, that, that could provide its own reward for the uh, the uh, I guess optimistic among us. It'll be something. It's Syracuse basketball, so it will be uh, it will be a lot. I know we'll, we'll be invested in in whichever way it goes, um, <laughs> and there will be overreaction and streaming on the internet. Uh, and who doesn't want that? I I'm I'm for it, and I'm so I'm so here for it that I even decided to take a vacation in the middle of it because. I think you guys can can handle yourselves without me, probably. I actually, give, only end up. John... I actually missed the easy games, which God damn it. <laughs> Make sure to give John your clips while he's away. Oh God. Uh, anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and uh, go Orange on Wednesday when they face. Uh, I think it's South, Southern New Hampshire. I'm just gonna say South Hampshire State <laughs> Online College. Oh, God, it's so soon. Yeah, they pretty much face an online college on Wednesday, so enjoy that. (laughs) Go Orange. (laughs) At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299, and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.